Welcome to the Bar Hacks Podcast. Engaging interviews, plus tips and strategies to navigate your bar or restaurant business towards sustainable success. Now, here's your host, hospitality industry veteran, journalist, and editor, David Klempt. Welcome, everyone, to the Bar Hacks Podcast. I'm your new host, David Klempt, the Director of Business Development and now the host of this podcast. I have an exciting guest for you. My first guest is Jared Bowler, the National Whiskey Ambassador for the Proximo Spirits Portfolio. Welcome, Jared. Thank you for having me, sir. It's, uh, it's nice to be on here and, and do this with you. Thank you for being here. I know that you are in Canada, so I'm sure you're freezing. <laughs> I am in Canada. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, you know, we, we got a nice little snowfall today and it, it is uh, dropping and it's getting dark at four o'clock, you know, so it, it, it is what it is. The winter is upon us. And you are, I'm, I'm guessing people may have been able to tell, but you are not Canadian. So I think we should go through, uh, through your story. How did you get your start in hospitality? Yeah, right on. Um, you know what? It's it's been a pretty incredible journey for me. Uh, you know, starting as a, you know, just a young university kid at University of Iowa. Uh, you know, I went to to college there, and I just got into bars and restaurants. Uh, ended up managing a sandwich shop called Baldy's Wraps for many years. It was a really cool uh, hole in the wall gourmet wraps, and then that uh, college was ending, turned into uh, bartending. You know, just in like a music joint with some beer and whiskey and uh, you know, just found a really kind of a passion for dealing with humans day in and day out, looking in their eyes, learning their stories, why are they sitting here, uh, watching live entertainment. Uh, and then I started uh, taking that experience and, and knowing my love of travel being first and foremost, and uh, that I could bartend anywhere in the world, literally save up money and then uh, go to travel to exotic places and uh, at that point, throughout university, I'd lived in Spain and Costa Rica. I'd uh, bartended a little bit at my local watering hole in Costa Rica. Loved it there as well. And uh, just literally just used bartending as an avenue to, to save up money. And uh, went to Asia for a little while. Again, nomadic guy that I am, I decided uh, that I wanted to ski every day. Uh, so I went to, to Vail, Colorado, got a, a job at a really nice place called the Left Bank. I've been there for 37 plus years at the time. Uh, started getting really creative with cocktails there. You know, the chef was a very intense chef, French chef, uh, very talented, but it was a reputable place. So it allowed me to create my own cocktails. Uh, after the ski season was over, you know, I realized that I didn't uh, want to, you know, have 10 years pass me by and I'm still in the, the, the mountains uh, skiing every day. I got my, my fix and moved down to Denver because I'd never lived in a major city before. And I uh, got a job again in Cherry Creek, uh, which is south side of Denver. And just again, being creative with uh, the chef and the cocktails. At the time, they had a, a very famous chef named Troy Gard. Uh, he has a little empire in Denver now. Uh, but, you know, he was being very creative and progressive with food. Whereas, you know, I started dealing with spices and Asian ingredients and, you know, Polynesian flair and all these uh, beautiful flavors. Uh, molecular gastronomy, uh, foams and, and airs and things. And, you know, uh, I don't know, I just started being creative. I started to identify people as people. And when you sat down in my bar and say, hey, David, what do you like? 
and uh, you know, kind of individualized experiences. Whereas one day, yeah, a guy, uh, a guy walked into my bar. He represent, re- represented a brand called 42 Below Vodka. Uh, he asked me if I wanted to uh, maybe compete in a cocktail competition. I didn't even know it existed, actually. Uh, but I said, what is a stipulation? Uh, essentially, uh, if you win here, then you go to represent the United States and New Zealand at the Cocktail World Cup. Started reading into it. This crazy, wacky uh, uh, competition that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but pretty much a competitor in me said I'm going to win and uh, ended up winning the regionals in Colorado and going to the U.S. So uh, I was introduced to and completely humbled by the world that I had you know, come across. My I was paired with this this guy named um, Bill down Bill Norris down in Austin, Texas, uh, as well as Charles Jolie uh, as you know one of the most wicked bartenders to ever walk the face of this earth. And, uh, nice. you know, I, I, I live with these guys and, you know, learn from them. And, you know, we competed against 15 other countries uh, over a week. And, you know, at the end, I, I kind of realized that, man, I don't really know anything. I'm just a creative guy uh, and took all of that knowledge and, and just passion and, and realized there was a true medium and art form in this uh, and came back to Denver with second place in the world on my, my resume. So I just started reading. I started learning about brands. I started learning about what classics were actually and uh, learning to execute them properly, uh, still being innovative, still being progressive with uh, my style and creativity, but learning how to do things properly. And uh, I ended up winning six out of 10 competitions that I, that I entered. Lastly, with Hendrix, uh, became friends with Charlotte Voise, uh, you know, the global ambassador for Hendrix. And she, uh, you know, I reached out to her because I was inspired by her and her journey. Uh, from an English woman and master bartender. And, you know, she put me in touch with Julie Reiner out in New York City. Uh, Julie was opening a tiki bar, essentially a Polynesian bar, inspired by her favorite beach in Hawaii, where she's from, called Lani Kai, and uh, went out there and helped her open it as a f- full-time bartender. Uh, and again, humility, learning tiki culture a bit. Again, more ingredients I didn't know. Having Julie looking at me, uh, correcting me, telling me like, why are you doing this? Um, you know, but again, humbling me to the point that it made me want to be better. Uh, and the thing is about Julie's bars is uh, they're all considered some of the top high volume cocktail bars from the Clover Club to what Lonnie Kai was, the Flatiron Lounge, um, Leyenda, which is out there right now with her, her partner, partner Ivy Mix. And, you know, one day she asked me if I wanted to go to the Flatiron as well. And I looked at it as another way to master my craft, my art, and uh, pretty much was bartending, learning Tiki Alani, and then uh, classic bartending at the Flatiron at crazy volume. Um, and just stood in that, that point well for about four years, you know, doing this, the dance and uh, getting beat up with my team there. And, uh, you know, again, we'd switch menu four times a year under Julie's guidance We'd get together, we'd wrap, we'd come up with a new menu and we would always uh, continuously change. And then after four years, the Hard Rock Casino in South Florida found me and, uh, you know, offered to move me down there. I was ready to get out of New York at the time and uh, get into some warm weather, take on a casino and figure out what that monster uh, would be. And, uh, you know, and then go down there and create some really progressive uh, restaurant concepts with another uh, team of great sushi chefs and chefs and pastry chefs and uh, execute something that won best uh, new bar in South Florida. Uh, so uh, called Kuro, which was amazing. And then 
you know, lo and behold, I met a Canadian girl at the casino and, uh, you know, she stole my heart and, you know, it was easier for me to come to Canada and, uh, you know, well, here, here we are. We have a two and a half year old son now and, you know, all my experiences and the passions led me to being the national whiskey ambassador for Proximo Spirit. So, you know, it's, it's been a pretty crazy journey. Hopefully it was too uh, long-winded for you. Oh, that was really succinct, actually. Um, what would you say you learned using uh, you know, New, York, New York City as a, as a market? I mean, that's one of the most important markets, or at least one of the biggest markets in the United States. What, do you, what would you say were the biggest lessons you took away from working in Julie Reiner's venues and just watching the New York City scene unfold? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... You know, the good thing about when you're working for somebody like Julie is you're always around the best people, you know, you're around the, the top people at their game. And, you know, it could be, um, you know, Dale DeGroff sitting in front of you one day or, or uh, Gary Regan, you know, uh, rest his soul, you know. Um, but, you know, Julie, they're telling you, you know, you're, you're, you, you need to do this better or, or that better. or This is where you can improve, um, you know, to truly, you know, master what it is. And I think everybody has a common belief there, you know, and, and you know, to survive in New York City, you actually have to be good. You have to learn, you know, the craft. You have to learn the art because, you know, there there were, you know, hundreds and hundreds of bartending jobs. But are they good jobs? Are they going to sustain your lifestyle as well? It's expensive there. You know, you live in a 500 square foot apartment for $3,000 a month. You know, it takes a lot of tips to to pay that that rent. So I think it also taught me to be strong. It taught me to be a little bit numb to, to the world and, you know, to just get better, you know, just get better continuously every single day. And, you know, if, if, if you have downtime and you're standing behind a bar polishing bottles or something, read the back of the labels, they all have a story, you know, and then you can uh, speak to your guests about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, survival, your, your human survival instincts, you know, kick in and, you know, and I think it also teaches you to challenge yourself in, in other ways outside of just, bartending you know um how can i use my talent to get involved in new things see more shows be inspired by uh, other bartenders other restaurateurs chefs um artists you have every sort of medium of art there at your fingertips you know uh so it's just like how can you constantly become better but it was a very uh again humbling experience that i grew immensely from and i i you know i don't know fun times one thing you mentioned, I, I definitely caught my attention because I've reported on it for uh, just a number of articles throughout the years, but you seem to have liked to work with the kitchen when you were in some of your bars. Um, do you want to expand on why you thought that'd be a good idea and how other restaurateurs can do that? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I like, you know, chefs are always trying to put out you know, the best possible dish possible. And there's uh, physical forms, you know, you're working with textures, you're working with, with different flavors. You're, you know, when you're a great chef, you're, you're constantly exploring new flavor profiles and how to create that balance. Um, and something that I have found with, with bartending is, you know, at the end of the day, it's a drink that you're making. So it's all in liquid form. You know, so how can you expand on the, the, the that same philosophy of textures and flavors and finding the nuances of balances within uh, all of the liquid, you know, um, let's just say, 
you know, you, you have chocolate, fig, cherry, lemon, lemongrass, and mint in there. You know, how can you find that, that cohesiveness amongst all those flavors and that quick subtlety of measurement uh, can, can change that drink or, 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 you know, ruin it for that matter. Um, so my favorite people in the kitchen, always outside of chefs, were the pastry chefs. You know, I, those are some of the first people I'd go to because, you know, I always talk about garnishing and the importance of garnish and eating with your eyes first. You know, if something is beautiful or stunning, walking by you on a, a tray, you know, if it's, if it's stunning, people are going to just point to it and say, I want that, you know, without question. Um, and a lot of times you can get some uh, really cool techniques from these pastry chefs. Um, so I, I, you know, I'd go to them and, you know, it's a kind of a, an offshoot of the main kitchen. So they're experimenting with their own medium being pastry. So I don't know. It's um, I, I've always just inspired. How can I liquefy that physical object and balance it out in a drink? Um, and now we're going to switch gears because I have to ask how you became a brand ambassador after, after all these <laughs> different markets you were in and different bars and restaurants, how you made the leap to brand ambassador. Um, well, my knees hurt, my back hurts, my shoulders <laughs> hurt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like naturally I think as, as you, as you get older, especially now having a child as well, you know, I, I got, I had one, an opportunity to create one bar here in, in Canada and in Toronto and it was for the St. Regis downtown in Toronto and, uh, you know, pretty hefty program, you know, one of the largest whiskey selections in the GTA, uh, with, you know, restrictions that you have from the government here in regards to, you know, purchasing alcohol in specific provinces. Uh, so it was, it was an undertaking. And, you know, around the time I had my son and, you know, I'd, I'd go to work before they'd wake up and I'd get back after they'd gone to sleep and then no sleep in between throughout the night. Cause he was always a terrible sleeper. So, uh, physically just drained, and, you know, just dealing with, with life, you know, and, and taking that on, you know, I'm like, I need to start using my, my brain power and my experience, you know, so I can, I can speak and I can just educate people like myself or up and coming uh, younger people that possess the same passion, uh, you know, that I had. So uh, education and training, you know, that's, that's what I've always, you know, really enjoyed and teaching people to be their own, uh, their own artists, you know. I know that you represent a number of brands, but I know that you're particularly proud, it seems, of Bushmills. So what does representing Bushmills mean to you? Yeah, uh, great question. Honestly, Bushmills, you know, like a lot of uh, like a lot of whiskey brands, I mean, they, they need a, a good story. And, you know, with whiskey, there's, it's a very saturated market. And, you know, I always say like all whiskey cannot be treated equal because it literally can't, you know, because you have American whiskeys versus Canadian whiskeys versus Scotch. Um, versus Scotch blends, versus Japanese, versus, you know, Irish. And um, when I started learning about the brand, I, I must admit it was a similar si situation for me. You know, a lot of industry people, you know, you know, taking shots of these other brands of, of whiskeys and whatnot. And, uh, you know, and I just kind of sit there uh, next to a lot of these brands. And uh, for me, I hadn't heard the whole story or learned about it. So the, the first mission upon signing up for the job was going to actual Bushmills in Northern Ireland uh, and learning about the brand. So uh, when I was there, I was completely hooked and completely sold. I mean, I was prior because I started researching it, but once I was actually there on the Northern shores of Ireland that it really, 
uh, spoke to my soul. And, you know, and I say that because, you know, it's every single bottle, you know, I mean, I have a bottle right here, you know, it says 1608 on the, on the bottle. And uh, it's just a date that's there, but 1608 is actually when it was signed off by King James the first making the oldest licensed distillery in the world. So, uh, or the oldest licensed whiskey distillery for that matter. And, you know, just knowing that fact, I, I was confused as to why people didn't know about it. And then uh, learning from the people and they're all, you know, th th there's only a little over a hundred people that work there and they're all there because their parents, parents, brothers, sisters, mothers work there, you know, for, uh, for decades and generations. And, you know, and, and it just was this beautiful story of just, of time and they all live within 15 kilometers of the distillery as well a lot of them walk they ride their bikes they spend the holidays together and um you know and they, they make this beautiful you know whiskey at the, the oldest licensed whiskey distillery so uh, and then on top of that you know you have the original that everybody knows you know that is it's you know pretty inexpensive for the price and sometimes people will sit and associate that with being a lesser whiskey whereas that's not the case with Bushmills. They've been making it for 400 years. They have a lot of land up there and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the beautiful whiskey aging in the barrels. And then you have the black bush, which eight years in Olorosa sherry barrels, 80% single malt. So it's almost a single malt for less than $40. I think in the States, it's even uh, a lot cheaper, like early 30s. Um, but knowing that you have all of this beautiful barley base and then it's aged for this amount of time in Olorosa sherry that as a cocktail creator, there's so much collect, uh, you know, flavor within that, that actual spirit. And then that's, that's not it. You have the single malt line, you have the 10 year and then the 16 year, which is my absolute favorite. It's a three wood, uh, you know, aged lastly in port barrels, but all the sherry bourbon and then port. And it's just some of the best liquid that I think I've ever tasted, uh, you know, in regards to whiskey. And for me, I've become a big fan of Irish because, uh, you know, the, the, the barley base of it, and then they triple the still in copper pot. So literally no burn happens when you drink it. It just lingers in, on your palate for long periods of time and continues to develop. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, everything is done within, uh, within Ireland. It's, you know, it's one of the only grain glass distilleries in the world as well. So we get everything from farmers in all over Ireland. Uh, they actually have barley awards. Um, you know, I actually was at the bar barley factories seeing the floor malting process with the barley guys. And they told me they give these guys gold cups for the best strand of barley uh, for Bushmills, you know, and, and they're just some of the kindest humans that I've ever met uh, on top of it. So there's just integrity, there's history, there's this wholesomeness, uh, you know, and just a beautiful story, you know, to be told. So kings and queens and boats and you know, uh, just an amazing story. The Coopers, I can talk about this forever, but the Coopers, uh, they've been the main Coopers, father, son, uh, Chris and Kane Allister for over 150 years. He was a Cooper with his father who taught him to be a Cooper, was a, the Cooper with his father. And they, they look exactly the same, these guys, but they're just keeping it within the family, you know, working with these 200-year-old tools to hammer home these, these barrels to ensure the liquid is beautiful. So um, a lot of passion with this brand. And I just think within the portfolio, there's something for everybody. Um, and then, yeah, the single malts that are not released that are coming out that are in the pipeline is incredible. Um, and we have the first female 
uh, or her name's Helen Muhallen, uh, first female master blender uh, in Ireland and one of the only women inducted to the Whiskey Hall of Fame as the oldest tenured employee at Bushmills, which is also spectacular. So I feel like there's a lot to be proud of uh, with the brand, you know? Hi there, just a quick message before we get you back to this episode. If you're looking to take your bar, restaurant, or hospitality business to the next level, I mean to profits of 12 to 15% or more, it's time to take action. Let's start creating your roadmap to success with our proprietary strategies, tools, resources that will inspire your team, activate your potential, and lead your hospitality brand to margins you never thought possible. Visit krghospitality.com right after this episode for more information. Now, back to the Bar Hacks podcast. How do you recommend you know, bartenders, bar owners kind of promote um, their use of a, of a legacy brand like Bushmills when they're getting pushed aside for, you know, the, the next new thing or the next new craft thing? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times I, I try to, again, identify the establishment, you know, is, a, is an Irish whiskey going to work in a Mexican restaurant? Uh, I don't know, probably not. But you know what, we can play off of the daisy being the margarita, you know, and making it Irish with uh, silver, like similar modifying ingredients, you know, so I think, you know, you can kind of adapt it to the, uh, the individual places. Uh, But with Bushmills, I think, like I said, there's, you know, knowing that bartenders like the best product for, uh, for price point as well, you know, for me all day, it's this, this black bush, you know, you put that in a Boulevardier, uh, an old fashioned, you know, a Sazerac for that matter, any sort of classic, it's just so complex and delicious, you know? So um, I don't know. I feel like it's one of those like brands, you know, that be in the know, you know, take part in it. You can't get a, a 10 year old single malt from some of these other companies for less than $50, you know? And, uh, and, or the 16 year, you know, hundred probably for you guys, it's probably like 110. I don't know the, the price, but it's like 130 here. Uh, but some of the best quality for price with integrity, with that just beautiful story. How is Bushmills helping out uh, operators right now? I mean, through Canada, through United States, if you know what they're doing overseas, I mean, there's, to say there's a lot of struggle going on is the criminal understatement, but yeah. um, you and I have talked before and I know that you have some ideas. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think, you know, education and training is a big thing that we're, we're trying to do. Uh, you know, everybody, a lot of people are doing cocktail kits now as well. Uh, we're trying to get involved with those. We're trying to uh, dabble in like, you know, the, the e-commerce realm or how can we help with a kit to provide to a restaurant Um, you know, that they can, they can sell as well. So they can, you know, make some profit margins there. Um, As I said, trainings have been a big thing, Zoom calls, you know, this is the world that we live in now, you know, and, and if we can get you a bottle or, you know, some of our liquid, and we can just sit and talk about these beautiful histories, um, you know, that you can uh, end up, you know, telling your friends and family about or or future consumers. you know, prior to this, it's kind of been up and down, but doing dinner parties uh, with chefs, getting involved with a great chef. Say, um, you know, I did one with this amazing chef named Sean McDonald uh, recently, young, young guy who was like Sam Pellegrino, young chef of the year a couple of years ago. And 
you know, I said, you know, he's, he's a creative type. And I said, do, do you want to do an Irish meal inspired by our whiskey? You know, he incorporated our whiskey into his foods. And then I came up and I bartended for a night with a mask on responsibly, uh, you know, for a limited amount of guests as well. Uh, so uh, we have some, uh, some other opportunities like that in the, uh, in the works as well. Uh, I think, you know, everybody has to eat, you know, so might as well provide them with a good meal, a uh, good story. And then obviously, uh, a, I don't know, whiskey neat or, you know, in a cocktail that complements it. Um, you know, recently we did one with a bunch of uh, bloggers and uh, influencers and such. You know, we, we got with another great chef in town and he was inspired by our whiskey. And then we had Helen, the, the master blender, speak through the whiskeys as they had an, a nice confit duck, right? Uh, so I think it's, it's, it's trying to, you know, be creative, do more stuff like that, uh, get more engaged with, with social media. We've been doing a lot of cocktails, um, but, you know, just trying to be as, you know, influential and, and educational as we can throughout all this, you know, it's a sensitive time for, for everybody. And I'm an open book. I, you know, if people want to talk, like, let's talk. You know, what can we do for you? Like, I think we need to hear from people what they need as well a little bit more uh, rather than being shy uh, because we're, we're willing to help, you know. <clears throat> we have our marching orders and, 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 you know, alcohol, people are drinking more at home nowadays, you know, it's just the, the, the truth. So, you know, if we can get the, uh, what is it, the Brady Bunch screen with a bunch of uh, friendly bartending faces, like, let's do it. That's my next question, actually, is what what can the off-premise consumer behavior we're seeing right now, what can that teach the on-premise operators, do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's the, the biggest thing is adaptability, you know, I, you know, for some of these from for all the stores, I mean, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Ontario, but the LCBOs here, you know, they uh you know, they, these people are working even more at this point, you know, their, their uh, profits are up, you know, um, you know, I feel like there's also, there's like a, there's an exhaustion associated with that, you know, but um, I've noticed that, you know, they're still working, they're doing what, you know, they're taking their marching orders, they're following every law and rule. I think for us, you know, knowing with the, uh, the bars and restaurants, you know, people doing the delivery kits or whatever, you know, try to partner with, with brands, try to reach out for, for help. Don't expect them to always come to you. You know, everybody is, is being pulled in so many directions, but, you know, just adapting and tapping into, you know, your, your what licenses you have in your restaurant, like, what can you get away with? I don't know, you know? Um, and I don't, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult question. I feel because, you know, we, we like can't do much right now, you know, but it's, it's like every 30 days we're restricted again. So, you know, like we. Very true. California just uh, wiped out, I think in person at all. I think it's only delivery and takeout for restaurants until uh, otherwise is announced from what I understand. Um, so, so moving on from that question, I, I do always like to, tell readers, in this case, a podcast audience, uh, basically from the source, 
what can operators, you know, in an ideal situation, what can they do to maximize their relationships with the brand ambassador? Yeah, of course. Um, I think, you know, just being, again, proactive to, to reaching out to us. We, like, brand ambassadors exist in every region and every market, you know, tag them, add them, you know, try to try to help out our brands as well, you know, not just, uh, you know, brands that are, you know, paying you or, uh, you know, are giving you a bunch of free product, you know, if you're inspired by something, just, just use it because you're inspired. And then, you know, we can ask for help as well. You know, it's, it's a, it's full circle. You know, we help you, you help us, you know, let's just, we're all in this together. So let's just, you know, play kind with everyone, you know, rather than just certain, uh, you know, companies, I guess. For some of our listeners, is there a, any notable difference between the Canadian hospitality industry and the industry in the United States? <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's, it's funny. Something I've learned this year being, you know, all over Canada is every city is so completely different, every major one, you know. Um, and every time I go to, into market, I have the sales team there that lead me to all of their uh, particular accounts. And I, I would say Montreal is, or they say here, Montreal is a little different than that of Toronto and Toronto is different than Calgary and Vancouver is significantly different than Winnipeg and whatnot. So it's, you know, there's different types of people, different types of cuisines. Toronto is really cool because it is the most diverse city in North America uh, with one of the fastest growing populations. And there's like 140 languages spoken here. Uh, So it's, it's this hodgepodge of culture here uh, and everybody, you know, living amongst each other. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I obviously have lived in a lot of cities in North America and they're all completely different. I mean, I can never compare South Florida to New York City or New York City to Chicago. Well, I guess they're a little bit, but, um, you know, to like Denver, right? Um, to, and then, you know, you go to like Des Moines, Iowa, which is which small and there's a lot of talent there. It's just it's a small city in, in the middle of, of North America, but I I never think of places the same, you know, but I, I do know this about Canada is the Canadian friendliness is for real and uh, everybody is open-minded and, you know, really excited about new things always. So. You consider yourself fully Canadian now. Earlier I said you weren't really Canadian, but that was probably not very accurate. I mean, you live in Canada now, so. Well, it's kind of funny though, out of all the places I've lived, I feel like the Canadian personality type is some of the most similar to Midwesterners. Um, you know, just, I don't know. It, it's it's the looking in your eye and, and say hello, you know, or just like engage a stranger or, you know, or just actually the, the biggest thing here is I always joke, everybody says sorry too much. You don't gotta be sorry about being sorry, you know? Uh, but just genuinely, what's that very Midwest, right? So a little different than New York there with that, you know? So what would you, if you can point to one or two things, I mean, if you can't, not a big, not a big deal, but now that we are, we're definitely headed into a new era of hospitality. What changes do you want to see made to the industry? You know, one change, a couple, what's on your mind? Yeah. Um, yeah, what's on my mind with that one? Um, like I said, I always I always speak, you know, uh, creativity. I don't I don't want us as a culture to have to go towards the like the the fast casual, 
um, you know, because it is really nice to go out to a, an expensive meal and have a, you know, a tasting menu or whatever. Um, but I think that, you know, maybe we can make things more affordable as a culture as well, because, you know, I do want to be able to experience everybody's food, you know, and it's like the, the theory of you go to, you know, if you go to Italy, you know, just homemade pasta is a thing. You just get homemade pasta and it's going to cost you $10. And, uh, you know, with a beautiful sugo and amazing cheeses, I understand you're in Italy uh, and the produce is a little different, but, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to make that pasta, why does it have to be uh, a $30 plate, you know, um, maybe bring the portion sizes down a little bit. Um, but yeah, just, um, I guess off the top of my head, that's kind of, kind of what I think. I always joke if, if I owned a bar or a restaurant, you know, it'd, it'd be like a sandwich shop or something just with gourmet, like a de gourmet delicatessen, like, uh, you know, something with good meats and homemade breads and, you know, just something that's affordable to people. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, I'm scared for the industry, but you know, like I said, I, you know, through and through, I just talk to people and I'm like, we're, we're, I'm your people, you know, like I, I rolled up my sleeves for many years and I'm an open book, you know, and, uh, just anything you need from us, you know, if it's an education, like, let's just do it, you know, we'll figure out a way to get you, uh, you know, some, some of the spirit or a glass or, you know, something like, let's just do it together. It'll be fun, you know? It's good for our minds, our psychologies, just to, you know, stay sharp. I like that you said that because I've been saying that we are in this together basically because no one else is coming to help us. <laughs> I hate to laugh, but I mean, that's yeah. the situation. So I, I like that you said that. And if I can put you on the spot, I hate to do this to you and you can, you don't have to answer it. But if you want to off the top of your head, what do you, what are your favorite bars and restaurants right now or even you know, just from the past that have stuck with you so that our audience can you know look them up and learn about them yeah of course um you know what i've i really always loved uh danny meyer restaurants in new york i mean it kind of sometimes can be cliche but you, you know that anytime you walk into one of his establishments that it's going to be uh, presented to you at a high a really high level you know uh, whether it means going to uh, Mayolino and getting perfect pasta, you know, or uh, Gramercy Tavern, you know, like, you know, you're going to get something excellent. Um, and then on top of it, even, uh, the, well, right across from 11 Madison Park, Shake Shack, you know, you'll get a crinkle cr cut fries and a good hamburger, um, you know, so that I always enjoyed uh, fusion restaurants, you know, like your Nobu's and such, Um you know, I just, I, I like when there's a, a, a meshing of cultures, that gentleman I worked with in Denver tag, you know, he, he's, he's, again, he's, uh, you know, grew up in Hawaii. So he has all this uh, Roy Yamaguchi Polynesian uh, influence, you know, and it's just like fun, quirky stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, far, as far as good restaurants and bars, I mean, like I said, with, you know, I'm biased because I work for Julie, but any one of her establishments, I mean, Clover Club is one of the coolest bars uh, in North America, in my opinion. Um, you know, just a place that people are cool. They know their craft. They know the preparation. It's a big family, um, you know, and, and they do great things. Uh, Maison Premier in New York and Brooklyn was always one of my favorites. Oyster Bar, Absinthe Bar, Craft Cocktailing. You felt like you were in grandma's house on, on one side of the restaurant and like a, a beautiful 
uh, bar in the other side uh, side of it. And um, you know that you're going to get excellence every single time you went there. But um, I don't know. Yeah, it's I, like I said, I've, I tend to go towards more of these fast casual concepts now. Um, you know, working on that. So one of the best restaurants I've found in Toronto is a place called Hexagon. Uh, it's in Oakville. Uh, it's freaking amazing. This, this chef named Rafa, he's one of the up and comers. He just won San Pellegrino chef uh, for North America as well. And uh, super talented young guy, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of amazingness out there. Right. And a lot of passionate, just creative, awesome people, you know, Great recommendations for our audience. Uh, is there anything else you want to say? Any sneak preview of a uh, Bushmills or another Proximo product you want to you want to leak or? Could... Proper number twelve. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, proper number twelve is ours. It's great. It's the uh, fastest growing uh, whiskey in the Irish category. Uh, I would love to see Bushmills grow even more uh, because it is amazing product. This guy here, the Sexton, another amazing product. Um, made uh, in Northern Ireland by a woman named Alex. Uh, the, the bottle rep represents uh, one of the rocks of the Giant's Causeway, one of the hexagons, uh, but also the, uh, the volcanic rock that filters the water that you, you get in making the whiskey, but kind of like an ode to the uh, Dia de los Muertos, celebration of death. The Sexton is a caretaker, um, you know, is an ode to her grandmother uh, who loved drinking sherry and, and, and cooking with sherry. So it's a 100% single malt, uh, aged four years in Oloroso sherry barrels. So this really beautiful, soft whiskey, especially for now. But yeah, all of our brands, Pendleton, Stranahan's, Tin Cup, Bushmills. Uh, I'm a lucky guy. I have a lot of great brands. I appreciate your time, Jared, and being my first guest on the Bar Hacks podcast. That's awesome. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me. I look forward to more. We'll definitely have to have you back on, um, hopefully under better circumstances for the industry. And for all the listeners, if you want to subscribe, like, and share, that would be great. Help us out a lot. If you want to follow us on at Bar Hacks on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to follow KRG America to see what I'm writing about at uh, KRG Hospitality and also see what we're up to, that would be fantastic. Thank you. Oh, see you later. Thanks, David.